Welcome to Fired Up. It's really good to be back with you all again. And today it's really exciting to to have with us Drew Bedard. We've been working with Drew for about a decade. And Drew is Vice President of Marketing at Bristol Motor Speedway and Dragway and Kentucky Speedway. And Drew, great to have you here. Thanks. Thanks, sir. Chris. I am excited to be here. I'm fired up, if I if I may say. That's a good move. Thanks. <laughs> um, just to start off, just tell us about yourself, your background, your position, responsibilities, how you found your way to Northeast Tennessee, and what your day-to-day looks like now compared to eh, five months ago. Okay, I'll give you the quick history part. Um, Grew up in Massachusetts, but then um, that's what, my dad's a civil engineer by trade. He got moved around a lot, Florida, then Massachusetts. But my my extended family's in Massachusetts as well. That's where I was born. But we moved back up there. And then when I was 18, I came down to North Carolina. I went to Elon University for four years. Um, I say four years because one brother went five years and the other went six years. And my dad likes to say that I went four years. So he's very, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. They, they had reasons for that sports and, and other things. So after Elon, I moved to Charlotte, um, did a year in sales and then was able, uh, very fortunate to hook on with Newell Rubbermaid at the time, um, and be a field marketing representative. Of course, Newell Rubbermaid was very heavy into NASCAR at that time with sponsorship of Kurt Busch in the 97 car, sponsorship of the Sharpie 500. Of course, then uh, Irwin Tools became very um, very heavily involved in NASCAR. So I worked for Newell Rubbermaid, um, both in a field position and a mobile marketing position for Sharpie for two and a half years. And then I was fortunate then to kind of stair step to a, sp- a small sports marketing agency in Charlotte called hb Sports. And I worked there for six years. I kind of transitioned into that role as coming off of working directly for Sharpie to working on Sharpie's business um, because that was the agency of record for the hospitality and activation for the Sharpie 500 at Bristol Motor Speedway. <laughs> so you can see how all these dots connect. But six years into that role, they they had an opportunity available at Bristol, it had always been a dream, um, especially because my wife is from East Tennessee. She's from Knoxville. And we said, if we could land there, that'd be great because we're very close to my in-laws. We're very close to my parents in North Carolina as well, but we see my in-laws quite often. So we said, that'd be a great situation. I was able to hook on um, with Bristol uh, in a role in sales for a year. And they could tell that I wasn't a very good salesman. Um, and that I was infinitely passionate about marketing because I kept bugging the marketing department day in and day out of ideas and all this other stuff. So after about a year, um, Logan McCabe, who's who's now kind of semi-retired, but you know Logan very well, Jerry Caldwell, who is the general manager at Bristol, they asked me if I wanted to move over to the marketing department, take on kind of a brand role. And that's how I got into the role that I'm in today. Um, and again, I've worked with you on the research front for you know the better part of a decade. Wow, I feel like I'm getting old. But um, so yeah, I've been at Bristol for ten years. Uh, just recently, this past year, had the added responsibility of marketing over Kentucky Speedway, which really, um, you know, just sort of a, a realignment in March after kind of COVID hit, and was able to. Uh, to pick up that and additional responsibility, but that that has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed that so far. So my day to day looks a lot like what it did uh, in 2019, as far as Bristol was concerned. Now I've just added Kentucky, and I think one more element to the whole thing is that now with um, I report directly to Jeff Ulrich, who is 
our essentially our chief marketing officer. He is the senior vice president of consumer marketing in Charlotte at Speedway Motorsports, our obviously our corporation. And I, I report directly to him now, and I am one of a few marketing leads across the company. And really, we're in this sort of collaborative environment now where we work on each other's businesses and we help each other on each race, on each event, um, kind of, you know, just as far as creative strategy, copy, could be anything marketing, anything communications wise, we're all kind of in it together now. Um, and we were before, but I would say this is this is definitely taken a, a shift in, in 2020. Um, and that's where I am today. So um, I'm recording from downtown John City at a friend's business down here. But uh, normally I'm either at my house uh, with with obviously the ability to be a remote worker or I'm at Bristol Motor Speedways. That's my home base. Um, so pandemic aside, you have seen obviously a few changes this year. Thinking about the realities of, of life and business um and for all sports organizations, um, all sports organizations have been ex- explorers in this journey through this this uncharted time and this uncharted territory. It's appeared that NASCAR, more than any other sport, has appeared to make some really bold and appropriate moves, which seem to be serving the sport very, very well. Tell us about those moves and the impact, both short-term and long-term, for the sport in general and for the two properties that you uh, focus on. Well, I think first, when you look at the moves that NASCAR was making right off the bat, like right as kind of the shutdown occurred for most professional sports. I think NASCAR right out of the gate wanted to be back to work um, as quickly as possible. So when you look at kind of what they did to ramp that up now, another luxury I would say was that it's a fully outdoor event and that, um, but of course they were faced with the idea of, Uh, Do we have fans or do we not have fans for safety purposes? But the call was made early on, and I I completely admire, and I'm not just blowing smoke here. I think Steve Phelps is a fantastic leader. Um, I think he came from a great pedigree at the NFL. And I think Steve's just a really smart, in-touch guy, and he knew that we could probably get back to work or the NASCAR industry could get back to work safely quickly. And and I think that you saw that deployed very quickly um, as far as the getting back to racing, of course, without fans, which is not the way that we want it, because as you could tell from the first few races out of the gate, it was great to be able to watch a product on TV, live sports on TV. But it was very difficult from an, an atmosphere standpoint, probably more for the tracks and then maybe for the winning driver in particular, that there were no fans to feed off of. But it it was very smart because also economically, if you look at how NASCAR uh, pays everybody or how the ecosystem works, um, we the industry as a whole needed to get back to work because everybody benefits from the TV contracts and other things like that. So the tracks, the drivers, the teams, um, and then obviously from a sponsorship perspective, the longer those cars and the longer those banners are not, you know, the car cars, the longer the cars are off the track, and as the longer the banners and the track signage and things like that are not being shown, there's more sponsors that are calling and saying, I'm not getting my value. And I think that, w- that was another huge consideration to say, we have to get back on the track to give our partners their value, to give our fans a product to watch. Um, and because we're an outdoor and we have a small grouping of, it's almost like you know how the NBA is doing Orlando. Think about that in a NASCAR garage every weekend. It's, the, it's very similar people, 
who are going and operating an event. So they're kind of in a bubble in the infield. And I think, you know, NASCAR was innovators in that way to say, we can do this. We can we can even enter into different markets around the country, but keep our industry very bubbled. Um, and so I think it's been great. And, you know, it was strange on May 31st and June 1st at Bristol to not have fans, um, but it was great to operate the races. Obviously, we had some exciting racing with uh, Chase Elliott and Joey Logano kind of wrecking the last few laps. And then I was able to go to Kentucky Speedway um, here in July. We had an awesome five races over four days. Um, it was a blast to operate. Obviously, we missed the fans, and that that was not great to see. But it was good for Kentucky Speedway to get some good product on the track and to get that race in. Um, and I think we'll be able to build on it for 2021. So, um, again, kudos to NASCAR and Marcus Smith, our CEO, and the folks, the leadership at NASCAR, and when I say there's a NASCAR, the entity, and of course, now ISC, the International Speedway Corporation, is kind of NASCAR tracks now. Mm -hmm. So look at the NASCAR track leadership, the SMI or the Speedway Motorsports track leadership, and then, of course, the leadership at NASCAR for just really you know, pushing, but pushing safely to get back on the track and give people a product. Yeah, it also appears through some of their, uh, I will say, socially conscious um, decisions that a new fan is being attracted to the sport. And I also yeah, absolutely the I, the I racing thing was huge. So keep going. Both I, I racing and black lives matter and a number of other things. And the, and the whole thing around the Confederate flag, et cetera, that a, that a whole new audience is emerging. That's really kind of exciting. Um, it's very exciting to, to see that happen. And, and I've heard lots of, lots of positive comments all around the country and talking to folks. Um, so, and just thinking of that, do you think this will have great long-term impact for, uh, for racing? I am, um, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to like be captain positive all the time. I am a very positive person, but I'm not trying to lie to you either. I absolutely think that this will have long-term benefit for the sport. And let's start with iRacing. I think, and this was even done, and you probably saw it in some research circles, that there were I think, and NASCAR released some um, some stats that said that there was something like a million new people watching these races because they were video games, essentially. And so you're bringing a lot of younger, and we have been killing ourselves trying to figure out how to get the younger audience to the racetrack. Well, we may have just found the secret sauce, which is integrating more iRacing into what we're doing. And actually, I'm still watching iRacing today. I'll watch the iRacing product, the NASCAR heat product that they're putting out every single week. So I think that that's, that's huge. Um, I, I also think that NASCAR kind of being first out of the gate with a live sport um, because there was, um, you know, look at, you could look at Twitter on those race weekends and you could absolutely see people desperate for live sports and just people saying, Hey, this is on, I'm in, teach me about it. Let me know what's, what's happening. So whether that is going to pan out to something long-term, I think we all believe it will, and I think we have to work against that from the track perspective. Um, but I, I'm hopeful, I guess is the way to put it. I don't know if it's you can bank on it for the future, but I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to retain the, that audience. And even if you look at what we did at the All-Star Race with just a few tweaks and innovations with the underglow, the, the numbers, the car numbers on the sides that looked a little bit more like Lightning McQueen for kids, um, which is the way I looked at it because that's what it looked like to me. Um, 
I think there's a lot of different things that NASCAR is doing to try to bring not only a younger audience, but a more diverse audience to the table. Awesome. The, the, uh, the whole idea of esports integrating with, with live sports, um, everybody's adopting it. I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be, if you don't, it, it doesn't bode, doesn't seem to bode well for the future. So absolutely. I, I love it. And I, I actually hope one of the things I tweeted out probably the week after we started back racing was, man, I'm missing this iRacing product. Can we keep the pro invitational series where it's, you know, the, the big stars were racing as if they were still racing on the racetrack. But I, I loved the product. I thought it was really cool to see them kind of in t-shirts and shorts at home, racing their rigs and talking and interacting. We had a lot of fun doing different promotions with different drivers. I mean, I'm I'm actually missing that product at this point. And I hope that in the future that can be elevated, that, you know, can we have an e-sport and a live sport coexist and kind of help each other, feed off each other. So we talked a little bit, the, um, even through our research, which you've, you've seen and, and other research you've seen that, um, People have been hungry and hungry for a very long time for real live sports. Um, they they were okay watching reruns, oh, like for a week or two, and that got old really fast for folks. And there was, it was just a um, a hunger, uh, a thirst that needed to be satiated. That 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 anything that was going to be on air live, people were were going to gravitate to. And indeed, we've seen that happen. The viewership numbers in sports, no, even NASCAR, you're almost even. NASCAR numbers year to year, almost even from last year, and you've lost how many races? Um, a bunch. So, so it's it's that's again, that's exciting and and content. We need always need fresh content, and and people just love sports because they they need the competition, they need that that energy that comes with that, and we've seen that over and over and over again. So it has, has to be fulfilled. So yeah, I couldn't watch the reruns. the 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 thing that got me back into sports was the Last Dance, actually. That because I like other than esports, I couldn't watch all the reruns. Like my dad, who's a just a diehard New England sports fan, he was watching Red Sox and Bruins highlight, and I'm like, I can't do this. Like I need a live sport. Um, so I was yeah, and the Last Dance was like I was kind of cool because it was kind of reliving a part of my youth. But um, I'm sorry, keep going. Oh no no, that's cool because that that seemed to be the catalyst for. Um, for people coming back to to viewing anything they get their hands on and and right after that and right funny in, enough I started watching it all over again today on Netflix so I started I started with episode 1 so I was I was working out today and I was like you know what I'm going to start the last dance over again oh, that is funny <laughs> so you had last dance you had korean baseball and uh, a few other things but people were watching because it was fresh and people didn't know what the outcome was going to be so right. anyway do you see do you see that uh, translating to a, a re-energized um, and possibly larger fan base just because of that and the people are coming back and, and at least watching it on TV and now they're re-engaging rather than being bored and, and stuff is happening in their life or or is this kind of a blip in time and, and we're going to come back to where we were from a viewership standpoint? Well, I think you have to look at each one individually. Um, I think the NBA is killing it right now. I think what they're doing with the bubble and what they're doing with Orlando and getting the season in I'm all in. I'm hooked. I can't wait to watch the Lakers and Clippers tonight. I can't wait to watch my Celtics play. I think what they're doing, they're keeping people safe and healthy. I think Adam Silver is a genius. Um, so I'm, I think the NBA has only 
they're only going to go up from here because honestly, the other cool thing about the way they did the bubble and the way they did the court in Orlando is it kind of looks like a video game. So I think you're going to cater to a new audience. Now, the one I'm worried about, well, we don't know where the NFL is going to go. We don't know what's going to happen. They're probably going to have a very MLB model, but the MLB is the one I'm concerned about because I've watched a few Red Sox games and it just is weird. It doesn't. First of all, we've already had some COVID cases out of the gate with yep. the Marlins, and that's probably not going to be the last team that's going to have that. But some of these, but the teams are traveling to different markets. Um, and then you've got empty, large, empty stadiums. Um, and and I, I guess you could look at NASCAR, but I think NASCAR, I don't know. There was a way to shoot it, and I think Fox. Uh, uh, kudos to them. I think Fox did a great job of shooting it because not only did they they tighten up their shots on the racetrack, but they used the drone re really effectively in their early coverage to make it so that empty grandstands wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It was like something cool you get to see you've never seen before because they could fly over. Like our races at Bristol May 31st and June 1st, that guy on the drone was having so much... It was the best branding I think I've ever seen because you were really seeing the mountains and the area and even the facility in its grandeur. Um, but I think the MLB so far has felt a little strange to me. And I wonder, do they have a ne does it have a negative effect? Again, I want to be positive and say, I love my Red Sox and I love watching baseball on TV, but it's felt weird to me so far. What will the NFL do is a big, cause they are the, I don't know what's the best, you know, the, uh, gorilla elephant in the room. They're the thousand pound, whatever. Um, they're the giant. They're the leader. Are they going to learn from what's going on? Can they learn from NASCAR? Can they learn from MLB? Can they learn and positives and negatives? Um, can they learn from the NBA? Can they learn from the NHL? I think the NHL, they're kind of doing a, a modified bubble in, in Canada. Yep. So I think everybody if if you're open to it and vulnerable enough, I think you can learn from each other and you can build the best product because, like you said, it's will this help to retain customers for the future? Will it retain long-term watchers and then live in-person uh, consumers when we're able to do that at a more regular clip? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so lots of question marks there. But yeah. I do think that there's some great case studies so far um and and with the shining star i think um obviously i'm very bullish on nascar but i think the shining star so far has been the nba and we're just getting started so we'll see where that goes yeah i think you're right and and the, the your your view of the of of major league baseball spot on and they've from a fan standpoint they've been struggling for a while anyway so right but you, they expose something it's exposing something. I, I listen to Bill Simmons' podcast all the time, and and they were talking with CC Sabathia and some other guys the other day. But it's exposing something about baseball, which you know, probably a guy that you and I both follow, Jesse Cole with the Savannah Bananas. Like mm -hmm. Jesse has been trying and innovating, and there's lots of minor league parks around the country who've been trying this sort of, you know, uh, festival style circus. You know, the old school sort of you know put on a show and the baseball's just there just happens to be there but um i think baseball has to innovate quickly in the entertainment realm but but then they're struggling with well how can we entertain when we have no fans there well you we've you gotta we gotta figure something out yeah. um even if they scale down to and of course they will naturally scale down with the playoffs to just a few teams but does the pro playoff stadiums look different do they put 
large LED screens in the backgrounds, mm. you know, can they innovate effectively so that they come out healthy in 2021? Right. Let's come back to the the, the All Star race since that was the really the first race to welcome fans back in the stands. So limited limited offerings of, of tickets only part of the equation. If you could share some of the considerations, both from an operational perspective, as well as the marketing PR perspective, that that really went into the execution uh, of the plan, and then with that, what were the great lessons learned through all that? First of all, the All Star Race was something that was unbelievable for the Bristol staff to kind of get gifted that opportunity. Um, obviously, it's been at Charlotte Motor Speedway. It's only been two places. It was at Atlanta Motor Speedway one time, and then it was, it's was it been at Charlotte Motor Speedway. But our CEO, you know, I give him all the credit of thinking outside the box of thinking, where can we put this thing to put on a good show? And, and, and you know, obviously, uh, Governor Bill Lee in Tennessee working with us on, yes, you can have a small capacity of live fans there. Um, now, now, there's been statements made that there there was no one reason why that happened. It was a host of different reasons, including leadership at NASCAR, leadership at Speedway Motorsports, and, and a host of different reasons. But the idea of having fans live for the All-Star Race was something that was um, obviously a positive for it. So we get it's probably five weeks out from the event when that call gets made. Now we had been hearing for a couple of days and I'll, I'll quickly get to the event. Cause I know you want to hear about the operation side, but the, um, we kind of hear midweek about five weeks out, this might be happening. So the Bristol staff kind of gets warned or the, the leadership at Bristol kind of gets warned, like this might be happening. So just wrap your head around it a little bit. So then you get to Friday and it's like, nah, don't think it's going to happen. Really cool if it would have, but no big deal. Um, we'll support our team in Charlotte. And Saturday comes along and it's, it's happening. So it's going to get shifted. Um, and then Monday, that next Monday, it was announced on Race Hub by uh, Marcus Smith. So then we are off and running. And it was, it was a really cool case study of collaboration because what ended up happening was we thought Texas was going to be our first Speedway Motorsports facility out of the gate with new protocols as far as live fans were concerned. Well, we just got shoved up to the front of the line. <laughs> so we're up to the front of the line. We have four and a half weeks to put this thing together. Well, it was everybody jumped in. Everybody jumped in together, led by Jeff and Jason Bowling um, at corporate, kind of on ticket ops and marketing. And then there's you know Scott Cooper and the communications team, Becky Cox at Bristol, um, just everybody. And then you got to look at Landon Owen, who's my colleague at Bristol in Kentucky and tickets, just everybody jumping in. Okay, how do we figure all these things out? And now the the first thing is you have to make a list of what are we trying to figure out? What do we need to do? What's going to be different? Well, the whole thing's going to be different. We're going to have a modified capacity with social distancing. So Landon has to work out the ticket manifest. We have exchanges coming from other racetracks. So we have to work that out. How's that going to work? And also for uh, maybe new fans that just want to come to the all-star race at Bristol. Um, digital ticketing. We had been fully paper ticketing up until 2020, we were going to make a slow kind of move towards digital ticketing in 2020, but then boom, it hits. We got to go all digital ticketing 100% at this event. So everything gets built out on the back end. We had teams like Atlanta Motor Speedway who had already, you know, had their event postponed. We we're maybe going to have their makeup event, but they jumped in from a marketing and PR perspective to really help us build 
videos and tutorials and different things like that. Then we had an elaborate marketing communications plan on how to educate people about um, COVID protocols, safety, hygiene, how we're going to treat the facility, how we're going to, how people are going to enter the facility, how, you know, screening and, and clear bags and everything that goes into that. So I'm kind of rapidly getting to that. It was a great case study in collaboration by not just one or two tracks or maybe one track and their home office. This was everybody in it together. I had friends out at our, my colleagues out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway or maybe Sonoma who were jumping in doing creative projects, who were helping us with email projects. Um, and so then you get to race week, which really is only one day. It's race day, which is different for us. We're usually we're used to an, uh, an entire weekend. Um, I talked about this earlier today with somebody else, but Becky Cox did an amazing job from our PR communications perspective of also educating we, the marketing and ticketing teams really took on the consumer and said, we have to educate, we have to get everybody ready, we have to get their digital tickets downloaded, and there was a lot of back-end work there. Becky really took on the how do we educate the media or get the media involved in this so that they can help spread the word on all the safety protocols going on. So, like, Becky had a big, elaborate tour on Tuesday afternoon. Um, if I can remember this correctly, Tuesday afternoon where we had kind of a short press conference with Jerry Caldwell, then we were able to roll out into kind of a facility tour to kind of take people around Adam Rust, Steve Swift. I'm throwing out a lot of names that people don't know, but these are all very, very smart, very capable people on both the Speedway Motorsports end and the Bristol Motor Speedway end um, who were kind of jumping in together and making sure that we could figure it out. Um, then when we got to race day, Chris, it was really about execute a safe event um, and put on a good show because at the end of the day, Speedway Motorsports wants to be known for family and fun and friends. And we want you to have a good time when you come to the event. So we were, we were so excited that NASCAR wanted to do the underglow and we brought in a live DJ and we did, um, we did a light show with phones right before they went green. And we did a lot of different things to try to make it really fun for the people that were there. So, um, just a really cool opportunity. Uh, I was glad to be a part of it, a very, very small part of it. Um, and it was very fun to execute. And I don't know, I, I hope, you know, one of the things that we kept in the, in the background and kept in the back of our minds was this was probably very important from a, not only a Bristol and Speedway Motorsports perspective, but it was very important from a national perspective to have a live event with fans that was well executed or had the sentiment after the after the event of being well executed and i think so far in some of the research that we've seen is that we feel like we're seeing that and i mean that you know the consumer doesn't lie when you send out a consumer survey you're going to get honest feedback uh, good or bad most you know most of the time if it's yeah. vo vocal it's bad um, but we got a lot of positive feedback and even to the point of i think one stat that i saw was if bristol was to have another event and they were able to replicate a lot of the safety protocols like they did at the all-star race, would you be willing to return? And 80% of people said yes. Yeah. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, and I think, and I know your podcast and this show has been kind of chronicling over time, how the sentiment or maybe the fan feelings have changed over time, you know, minus a vaccine, which would make all of us feel better mm -hmm. is can the live event facilities execute a safe event? And I think, people are 
maybe willing more and more and more to step out and do that. But then it's on the venues themselves to actually execute the play. So uh, I'm sorry to be long winded, but that's the story of the All Star Race. No, no, that's great because it was it was pivotal as far as you know having fans in the stands for the first time. And I think you're right from a national perspective, all eyes were on Bristol, Tennessee, and and everything that we've seen in our work, it's all been it's been very very positive. So kudos to you and, and the team. Um, just a couple more questions. Um, overall, the this whole disruption to our status quo, good thing, bad thing, or just a thing. I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. I mean, I'm kind of a glass half full guy. Like I've even looked at my being able to work remotely as, um, and I'm just very blessed that my parents haven't gotten sick or my brothers haven't gotten sick or my kids haven't gotten sick. Um, and I, and I feel for all those families who have gone through this and gone through the worst of it. Um, but when you look at it, I'm, I'm going to go glass half full and say, I hope and I think we will come out better for it. I think from a facility and from event operators, we will come out smarter and better for it. Um, I think the sports, will, the sports are being forced to innovate right now, which is always a good thing. Um, when you're forced into innovation, not you get to do it at your leisure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I think this is a very serious thing. And a very serious, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure 30, 50 years from now, this will be chronicled in the history, whatever, not books probably, but <laughs> history, history web, um, that this, this year of 2020, this chaotic year will be chronicled. But I hope, it is my hope that we will all come out the better for it, that we will be, you know, even better from a health perspective and how we take care of ourselves and how we take care of our neighbors. Um, so I'm hoping for the best. And I know that I will come out of this um, a hopefully a better person, a better marketer, a better dad, a better husband, you know, all those things. I mean, I hope to come out on the better side of this. And I, you know, so that that's kind of my perspective. Okay. Okay. One last question. And so, and which rolls right off of that is how do you use this, this time to, to build the institutional marketing behavior as well as your own personal approach to marketing? That's a great question. Um, I, you know me, we've known each other for a long time. So you know that I'm, I'm really kind of, kind of a marketing nerd and I like my craft and I like to read. I like to research. I, I, I like all that stuff, but I do know that I guess this entire time, and I'm probably all marketers, operators, business runners are, are coming out of this challenging all the assumptions they may have had. And I think that that's always a good thing because then that puts you at a place of maybe out of your comfort zone, but maybe really focusing on your consumer and, and being a well-read, well-studied craftsman of whatever that craft is. If that is event operations or if it's research or if it's marketing, um, I don't know. So that, that's where, you know, I, I hope that, I hope that answers your question. And if it doesn't, I'll, we can do a follow-up for sure. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm quite the, I'm quite the marketing nerd and I, I love my craft, but I do think that it has challenged my assumptions, assumptions on a lot of things. And it has taught me that I not only need to listen to my, 
my colleagues around me, but I need to keep studying and I need to keep learning because again, and that's why talking about before I'm watching so intently what the NBA is doing because I do think that they're on to something. There's something there. There's a spark or a, a bit of magic, just like I talked about Jesse Cole and Savannah bananas. He was doing it when there was no COVID, but there, there are, you know, whether it was Walt Disney in the fifties and sixties, or you look at this time period there or Jeff Bezos with Amazon, or you look at all these different things there, there are great innovations that come out of difficult times. And, and I think what I'm trying to do is just make sure I keep learning and keep listening. Good deal. Drew, I really appreciate you spending time with us today. It's been awesome. Yes, sir. Uh, Thank um, you, Chris. This has been fired up from a podcast from ignite fan insights, um, part of design sensory intelligence. Till next time, take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe. And if you really like what you heard, please leave us a five-star review and tell all your friends. Also, thanks to the good people that power Fired Up and Ignite Fan Insights at NASCAR, the National Sports Forum, and the Association of Luxury Suite Directors. To learn more about Ignite Fan Insights and what that exclusive content can mean for you, visit IgniteFanInsights.com and subscribe today. It's a wealth of information all about the fan at no cost to you. Your fan club subscription includes our e-publication, podcasts like this one, exclusive blogs, quarterly e-newsletters, and timely webinars that keep you not only up to speed on what your fans are doing, but ahead of the curve and ready to take on anything that comes at you. Fired Up is hosted by Chris Wise and myself, Chris McAdoo. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time. And as always, y'all stay fired up.